a reading by a woman named Alicia Crosby. I've heard a version of this sentiment, I want to be your ally, too many times to count over the years, and after taking a deep breath and stifling the urge to roll my eyes, my response is always the same. You cannot name yourself as an ally. That title is bestowed upon you, and it should not be assumed. I'm tired of offering up these words, but I do so with consistency because I'm all too familiar with the frustration and anger that people feel when those who do not navigate the world as they do presume to speak on their behalf. My experiences, says Alicia, specifically those related to my blackness, my queerness, and my womanness, have led me to encounter people who have appointed themselves as my allies. It's exasperating because these people have done so without knowing me, without knowing my interests, and sometimes without our ever having had a single conversation. I'm going to be very candid about issues around allyship because too many people feel like they are above reproach, and acting out of that assumption compounds the injustice that other people have to deal with. My job is to speak plainly and not mince my words, because I know that comfort is a luxury of privilege. You must do the work of listening and interrogating yourself, as your feelings should not be elevated above the wellness or dignity of those who endure marginalization because of their race, sexuality, gender, class, religion, ability, or any other facet of their identity. You cannot appoint yourself an ally. That's something that someone else has to name you. And the second reading from the materials then, as you've heard that, describes how you can become an ally. And it's called, For Our White Friends Desiring to Be Allies. I'm writing this, says Courtney Ariel, in hopes that it can be used to lighten the load of marginalized folks keeping in mind that not all marginalized people want to engage in the ally conversation. And that is perfect as well. I've been asked by two dear friends, how can I be a stronger ally? And she says, being the slow emotional processor that I am, um, I spent some time with this before I answered them. And she said, here are six things you can do to be stronger allies. One, and we heard it in the song, was listen more, talk less. You don't have to have something to say all the time. Number two, for one out of every three opinions, insight shared by a person of color in your life, try to resist the need to respond with a better or different insight about something that you read or listened to as it relates to their shared opinion. <laughs> try just to listen and sit with someone else's experience. Number three, 
Being an ally is different than simply wanting not to be racist. Parentheses. Thank you for that, by the way. Being an ally requires you to educate yourself about systemic racism in this country. So forth. Number four, please try not to, quote, I can't believe that something like this would happen in this day and age, close quotes, your way into being an ally when atrocities like the events in Charleston, South Carolina, and Charlottesville, Virginia, happen. People of color have been aware of this kind of hatred and violence in America for centuries, and it belittles our experience for you to show up 300 years late to the oppression party, suddenly caring about the world. Don't get me wrong, I welcome you, she says. And then ask when you don't know. Dash, but do the work. First, this is nuanced. Some marginalized, disenfranchised folks will tell you not to ask them anything, but don't be offended by that. Do the work to educate yourself. And finally, stop talking about colorblindness. It will never be possible for us to be colorblind, and we shouldn't ever want to be. And then she concludes by saying she believes this is holy work and admonishing us all. Above all, I urge you to keep trying, even though you've heard this and heard that being an ally is bequeathed upon you. You're going to make mistakes. Expect this. But keep showing up. Be compassionate. Lead with empathy always. Keep learning and growing. If you do this, I truly believe you'll be doing the work of an ally kind of changes the feeling of the title for me of trustworthy ally. And I put a question mark after that. It's not a statement. An ally is someone, now you start to say, who will stand with you. But then we remember from our song, Standing on the Side of Love, we shifted to say, Answering the Call of Love. An ally is someone who will stay with you who will stay beside you. It's become a prominent word in social justice work, meaning a person usually of the dominant group who will use their power and privilege to help with the issues of a marginalized or oppressed group. There are many of you here who have definitions of ally. Would you like to share those? Sort of asking for your voice if you want to share what you think being an ally means or is. Anybody wants to add to that? I like to think of myself as being an ally. I like to have that inside of me. As Unitarian Universalists, we like to think of ourselves as allied with the oppressed and marginalized. It's how we orient ourselves. It's part of our identity, progressive, inclusive. It's part of our theology. Universalist says that one human family, one nature, one origin, one destiny. And we think that we are doing the work of answering the call of love. 
But lately, I've come to realize that just as I have to earn trust, and I understand that. I understand how trust is earned. I understand how trust is broken. I understand that process of rebuilding and coming back to it. And trust and being an ally are intimately interrelated. I have to earn being an ally. I cannot just think of myself as an ally. It is not an appropriation or designation I can give myself, even in my own thinking of myself. It can only, as we heard, be given to me, bequeathed. And as author, educator, and co-activist and activist, Alicia Crosby makes so clear in her quote, she says, when you declare yourself to be someone's ally without their consent or invitation, it disregards their sense of urgency, agency, and self-determination. Your journey to becoming an ally does not begin when you start to care about the marginalization someone else experiences. You do not become an ally when you show up to a rally, march, or engage in other forms of protest. You do not become an ally when you decide to don the in vogue apparel or accessories representative of pop culture progressivism. For example, she says, pink hats and safety pins. You become an ally when another person confers that title upon you. I won't presume to speak for others, but I know this designation is one that I grant to those, and if you can get away from the I grant, to those who have stood in solidarity with me, here's the phrase, over time. So as you hear it, that over time, trust is central to being an ally, a trustworthy ally. You can be counted on, counted on to be there, to show up, to be in relationship. Big word, over time. Over what? Time and experience. The experience. It's built from experience that can be counted on. We didn't even talk about in the idea of trust, whether you can trust yourself to show up and be counted on. I think about trust, and I use trust in my marriage ceremony that I, I do and, and in the rough draft that I, I send to couples to look at. And it says, today we perform an act of faith in each other. You have come to love and trust one another deeply. And it's the deeply rooted faith that you will not give up on each other. It says in there, See, not the naive expectation that life will be trouble-free, but the deeply rooted faith that you will not give up on each other. Now, of course, marriage is more than <laughs> what you're going to commit to in being an ally. Although, if you're in a marriage, your spouse hopes you're their ally. Um, but you get the idea of that move. Trust. Trustworthy. Ally. Being an ally. 
just because it's conferred, I have the sense if I make that point too strongly, you'll go, well, you know, I can't control somebody conferring this on me, so what do I, why do I try? But it doesn't mean they're out of reach. It doesn't mean it's out of control or our influence. This whole notion of trust and connecting with those who are different than we are, they're part of the good we aspire to work towards. We build trust. Yesterday I worked on a habitat building crew out on Hofer Court, which is named after Dick Hofer, a member of this congregation, and working on the house. We put up soffit, you know, and we didn't even get it all the way around the house, and then we put up siding on the side of the house. We didn't get it all sided, but we were the building crew We were building that house on what other people had built. And then we came in. We said we'd show up. We were there. We did the work. You can work towards that finished house. You can be informed by. And you can also think like friendship. How much or what kind of an ally am I going to be? Or do I want to be? Do I have room in my life? So how to approach it, that allyship, how to approach how to do it, the creation of one human family is what you're doing. How do you build connection and trust, trustworthy connection? Like I said in the article, I read them just so you'd hear them, um, the six things that you can do. Listen more, talk less. It says you don't have to post something on social media that points to how liberal, how aware, how cool, how good you are. You are lovely, human, and amazing. But you also have had the microphone for most of the time, for a very long time, and it will be good to give the microphone to someone else who is living a different experience than you are. For one out of every three opinions shared by a person of color in your life, you don't have to respond with a different insight or a better one. When you share in response to what someone has shared with you, it can sometimes, not always, feel like white-splaining. Sort of like mansplaining. Meaning to explain or comment on something in an overconfident or condescending way. This adds to the silencing. Sonia Jones, who is our family ministry coordinator, wrote in this week's Uh, mailing to families, and she says it's Black History Month, and it's also time for us to reflect about being trustworthy allies in the struggle for freedom and justice. She says, last week I shared a list of things we can do with our white privilege, and last on that list was to learn to give up our unearned advantages. Then she says this, as the mother of children of color, As the mother of children of color, I occasionally have been asked to represent their experiences. I'm always uneasy. I can tell you the stories about how they were followed through stores while shopping as teens, but I will be uncomfortable because these stories are not mine to tell. These stories are not mine to tell, and telling them on behalf of my children of color continues the cycle of privileging my voice as a white person over their voices as people of color. My role as their mother that is, advocate, cheerleader, protector, confidant, is not to speak when they can speak for themselves. 
It's not to assume that my empathy for them is the same as their experience. Most importantly, it is not my role to elicit sympathy from others for my plight as the mother of children of color. In short, I am their ally, and as an ally, my job is to pass the mic. I had asked Sonia to do this service with me if she wanted to, but she's busy writing um, chapters for a textbook and overwhelmed um, in how to follow through with this. So I include her words with her permission. Number three is being an ally is different than simply wanting not to be racist. Thank you for that. Being an ally requires you to educate yourself about systemic racism in this country. This is Black History Month. So I'm not up here going to tell you a story of black history. So you can go check. I got that. We did that in church. So, but what I do is encourage you to go and read. For example, read The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Read the book Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. I read those. I didn't read them just because somebody told me I should read them. I, I read them because I was connected to them by way of my daughter speaking from them and letting me know what I wasn't doing <laughs> and the critique that was broader than my experience. I also thought of an example. Years ago, it came to me about educate yourself and being with. One of my good friends, Mike Gallion, was a Vietnam vet, and he was going through PTSD problems as a vet. I, I'm not a vet. I, I don't have any, any of that experience. But I asked Mike, how could I educate myself about his experience? So he gave me books to read and things to do and things to see. And I did that. Why did I do that? Because he was my friend. Because I had come to know him and he had come to know me and even could ask me to do that. He was my friend. Black History Month, I just went and saw a documentary on Sam Cooke. And Sam Cooke, um, one of my f most powerful songs I I've ever heard is A Change Is Gonna Come. But I know a change is going to come. Well, it's a documentary. The documentary is named The Twice Killing of Sam Cooke. And by watching it, you see where Sam Cooke was um, an activist. Sam Cooke was trying to just make his way in the business world, in the world around him, as a person should, and then fighting all those problems. So I urge you to pick that piece that speaks to you and that you can you can use. And then I said, uh, I can't believe something like this would happen in this day and age. Ask when you don't know, but do the work first. Folks are tired, and that is understandable because it is exhausting to be a marginalized person in this world. We had something happen a couple of years ago where... Um, a transgender member of this congregation um, interacted, a, a member of 
us, our congregation interacted with them to say, oh, once they came out to say, that's very interesting. I have some questions for you. Now hear that. And you go, that's okay to ask. But then hear that and do that work and step back a little bit and realize that we as a congregation had not done the work to educate ourselves so that a person who was transgendered could come into this community and not feel like they had to answer all the questions. I'd like to share, but the end of that is keep showing up, keep making these mistakes. Also, give up being defensive. Just keep making the mistakes. I'd like to share a story, but before I do, um, Thursday was the one-year anniversary of the Parkland school shooting. But think of it and your response. I did this in terms of being a trustworthy ally to those people, those parents, those families, those issues, the larger issue of gun violence. I reflect back on how much I've gone about my life how much I've let the issue fade. I've retreated into the indifference that is my privilege, the indifference of where I've chosen to live in the world, and that is my privilege, so I can go on with my life. And every time it comes up, I go, I can't believe this is happening in my country. And then I go surfing. I mean... I don't mean to make those the choice, but there is that indifference. I think about John Owen, who's here today, and how much it's not something he can retreat into, his indifference about and letting this go as an issue in the world that needs to be changed. He lives with it every day. The one story I want to share with you is in the heart of Hendersonville, discussions that we had um, around the community, we had, I don't know, there were almost 20 different groups and 100 people, 150 people having discussions, but then we came back together to talk about particular issues. And one of the issues that arose was a discussion on race relations. And there I was in the group, and they asked me that day to facilitate it straight, white, male, you know, older me to facilitate the discussion on race relations. Well, I made it very clear who I was and what I came from and that my job was what? To create that space, space and what? Pass the mic. Pass the mic. People shared their experiences. It wasn't about, here you go, what issues did you discuss? What issues did you get done? It was about people sharing their experiences of remembering things. Like when the Ninth Street school bus was a pickup an op- for was a pickup truck with an open bed in the wintertime to travel to and from school. And then there were present day stories of how Main Street is such a segregated experience in Hendersonville. And then there were stories of the microaggressions that happened on Main Street. In other words, going out to dinner, then being asked to serve somebody, you know, if they're the help. 
microaggressions. There was an African-American woman who owns and runs a childcare business, and she shared how often it is that she greets people who come in with their children for the first time, and they ask to speak to the director or the owner. So she goes back into the back and then comes back out front and says, here I am. So we had that discussion. The group agreed that we wanted to continue the conversation. We shared our contact info. And and I went on about my life, feeling like that had just kind of taken care of itself. And we were going to do that. But fast forward to November, I'm in the YMCA. And I walk out. And is it it Roxana Pepper, Um, Ronnie's wife? Anyway, Roxana, she does uh, aquatics... Um, exercise class. It's an incredibly diverse class. It's like you want Hendersonville to be, you know. And they have a potluck. Well, I was walking out, and Stephanie Coppatum knows me, and she invited me, and Roxanne invited me to sit down and have dinner with them, and I was busy, but I sat down and had dinner. But here's the example of me not listening. I looked around, and I went, hmm, there are not very many green things on the menu here in the potluck. That judgment. I said that to Stephanie. She says, don't go there. Don't go there. (laughs) I looked around and I I said, hmm, there's no recycling. How do I, what do I do with this plate? What do I do with this water bottle? Hear how that is me not listening. But I recognized a person from the heart of Hendersonville discussion And we spoke, we acknowledged that, and this person said they noticed there hadn't been any follow-up discussions scheduled. And then they said, um, I said, I think there was, and we took contact information, and I started to throw some people under the bus to say they were going to get in touch with you, but I didn't. But this person says, that's the way it always is. These things start, and they never go anywhere. You're not trustworthy ally. So we sat at the same table, though, sharing dinner, and there was an edge, a remove. But then we got into talking about where we lived and our children and what our children did and the locations. And then this person told me about the Sunday afternoon gatherings at their house and the games they played, and we talked about it. We connected a little more. I'm not saying a big deal, but you could feel the shift. You could feel the shift, and I thought, wow, if I could just get an invitation to Sunday afternoon. But it was Sunday afternoon, this person said, you can find it where her house is, their house is, by seeing all the cars gathered around and the children playing. It turns out, as we tried to get a group together, that there's resistance to getting together to talk the issues, because why? The trust has always been broken. But a small group formed to have lunch together for the sole purpose of getting to know each other. Issues were off the table. It was just to build trust, to become a part of each other's lives. And I would say to you this last and last few weeks, out of the blue, I've just gotten an invitation to join the lunch group to begin to talk. 
and be a part of that. Now I have to be careful. If I agree to join the lunch group, what does that require? That I show up and I keep going to the lunch group. That I don't evaluate, is this okay for me? Is this something I really want to do? Is this working well? I go to the lunch group. Bill's community. Community. We talk about it. We use it as a word. But here's what Alicia Crosby says. These people, however well-meaning they may be, have failed to do the most basic work to build a relationship with me. I see these things reflected in the stories of others have shared with me, and I remain convinced that no healthy model of allyship can exist when communal bonds are absent. Who do you socialize with in Hendersonville? When communal bonds are absent. Audre Lorde says, without community, there is no liberation. So I question what the point of allyship is if it doesn't lend itself to us all being free. As my concluding words, I'd like to, well, we've run out of time. Um, I've run us out of time. What's that? Um, No, I haven't skipped the choir. Oh, yes, I did. (laughs) Well, this is perfect. (laughs) Thank you. And and one thing you don't want to do is... um, break the trust of the choir. (laughs) Um, But let me just do this and conclude. And then, allyship isn't easy, Alicia Crosby says, but nothing that is truly worth pursuing ever is. You will mess up, you will stumble, but so long as you follow the leadership of those you seek to stand in solidarity with, you will be okay. So press pause on however you are approaching things before and take the time to really get to know people who hold the world in different ways. Not for the sake of satiating a misguided sense of saviorism, but because you understand that they are people with a history, a present, and a vision worth getting to know. And the last words from our reading were just, don't give up. Keep trying. Above all, keep trying. You're going to make mistakes. Expect this, but keep showing up. Be compassionate. Lead with empathy always. Keep learning and growing. If you do this, I truly believe you're doing the work of an ally.